Hi, and welcome to the Veterans Legal Lowdown, brought to you by Chisholm, Chisholm, and Kilpatrick, a law firm representing veterans nationwide. In each episode, we break down a different VA disability topic or share our take on the latest VA benefit news. Welcome to the Veterans Legal Lowdown with Chisholm, Chisholm, and Kilpatrick. I'm Emma Peterson, and I'm joined today by... Carrie Baker. And we're going to be talking about PFAS and contaminated drinking water. So Carrie, let's jump right in. What are PFASs? Okay, so PFASs are a group of chemicals uh, known as polyfluoracyl substances. And uh, there are many polyfluoracyl substances. We're going to be talking mostly about two of them. Um, and they are PFOS, P-F-O-S, which is perfluorooctane sulfonate. And the other one is PFOA, which is perfluorooctanoic acid. So PFASs are this, you know, big group of synthetic chemicals. They're in a lot of things, nonstick cookware, paper goods, things like that. But we're focusing on two subsets of this whole big group of synthetic chemicals. So this, the two you just mentioned, the PO, the PFOS and the PFOA. Those two. What are those used for? Well, first, you're right. The, the, you know, we kind of generally use the term PFAS uh, and kind of the first hurdle in getting your head wrapped around this this issue is understanding that PFAS is the larger set of chemicals. We're looking at two of them. There's probably a lot more once we get into the weeds, which we're not going to do here. <laughs> um, but the PFOS, the perfluorooctane sulfonate, and the PFOA, the perfluorooctanoic acid, were used and, and still are used uh, by the military and firefighting agents like AFFF, which is which stands for aqueous film forming foam. Say that <laughs> uh, five times fast. Right. <laughs> so that's uh, you know, and military use these obviously for uh, you know uh, firefighting training, fire actual firefighting when especially petroleum fires, which you couldn't put out with water. This stuff seals the fire, robs the oxygen, and it's and it is quite highly effective in putting out petroleum fires. Okay, so this is used at military installation and bases across the country for training purposes, and also to actually fight fires when you have you know petroleum fires, which presumably could occur, um, considering the the context of where you are. Um, so, what is the problem with using this type of synthetic chemical? Uh, in firefighting, what what ends up happening? Well, it, if it's okay, let me back up just a bit. You talked about how the military used these. Uh, for those people that are listening that were in the military, especially for folks around military air bases, mm-hmm. uh, there was uh, just about in every military base I've ever seen, as far as air bases go, because I was uh, I was on air bases myself. There was always a spot on the base where the firefighting crews would 
create mock fires, mock aircraft fires, so they could practice putting the fires out. And they did this routinely. It's just part of training because uh, you don't obviously want to be unprepared when an actual aircraft fire occurs. Sure, your first time fighting a petroleum fire should not be the first time you see a petroleum fire. Right. And so the military would, would practice these in their, in their you know, whatever spot they had designated to do this routinely. And so over the years, this, you know, these chemicals kept getting into the ground. And, and so that's, you know, that's why this is a widespread issue. To your question, uh, let me ask you to ask it again, just in case the listeners are. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So just to recap, we have military bases using the synthetic chemical to fight actual fires and train um, and, and on a routine basis. Mm -hmm. So once PFASs are sprayed in a foam format onto the fire, puts the fire out, great. We're very happy about that. Mm -hmm. But what happens to that chemical? Does it just kind of dissipate and you know go away? Does it persist? Where, where does it go? How is it affecting okay. folks on the base? So one of the, well, probably the primary reason that this is becoming an issue is because these are extremely persistent chemicals. They are man-made synthetic chemicals that that practically stay in the environment indefinitely. Okay. Uh, they're a, what's called a carbon-fluorine bond chemical. Now, I am not a chemist nor a scientist, uh, so full disclosure there. But if you do a little bit of study on this issue, you will find out that a carbon-fluorine bond is the strongest chemical bond in nature. And so when you have a bond like that, it doesn't break down. And so it doesn't break down in the environment, and because it doesn't do that, it you know if it spreads in the ground, mm -hmm. uh, it spreads to groundwater, uh, it's going to continue to bioaccumulate in that groundwater. So, you know, the first time it's used, you may get just a little bit in the groundwater, but that little bit stays there. And the fiftieth time it's used, now you've got exponentially bigger amounts in in the groundwater. The same thing happens in the human body, since it doesn't bio since it bioaccumulates in the in the environment, anywhere it's in it's bioaccumulated, you're going to have a higher dose in drinking water if it has access to wells underground water, and then that in turn is going to continue to bioaccumulate in people that are drinking that water. Okay, so we have people on the base drinking the military's base water. Mm -hmm. We have PFAS is being sprayed routinely. They are seeping into the ground, seeping into the water supply, building up and building up and building up over time. So it gets into the water, it's water soluble, and then people are drinking that water. And the more they drink that water, the more it accumulates in their bodies. That, that is absolutely correct. That is it in a nutshell. Okay. All right, so where has water contaminated with PFASs been found so far? All right, well, we can't get into every single location because there are a lot of them. Uh, the, now, according to DOD, and it kind of depends on what report you read and, and who you listen to, uh, and so take DOD's information sort of with a grain of salt, but DOD has already reported 401 military installations that are known or suspected releases of PFAS. Uh, that does not mean that that's the only, uh, those are the only places. Um, 
I think we'll provide a link to an interactive map that has a lot of military bases on it that you can you know, put your cursor on and your computer and it'll tell you that what the base was and how much uh, has been detected there. Now, PFASs are in civilian water supplies too, right? They're, they're everywhere. It's just that we're talking about places where they were used with such frequency and duration that this bioaccumulation happened. And so you're on one of these, these military bases or installations, the level of PFAS in your water is significantly higher than maybe just your average person, you know, out in, in a civilian location. That's correct. And well, to some degree, because uh, apparently this chemical uh, has already found its way, or these chemicals have already found their way, way off the military bases. Sure. So in a lot of these military installations, the surrounding towns water supply is also contaminated. That makes and, sense. And, and so that's going to, you know, if you're living you're in the military and you live off base, then you're mm -hmm. going to be affected whether you're on base or off base. Uh, and that can mean, you know, detrimental effects for your family members uh, because they're typically drinking the water, you know, normally not on base and this whole family lives on base. Right. So like Carrie mentioned uh, on our website, www.cck-law.com, we're going to have a blog post about this and we will post a link to an interactive map from the environmental work group where you can search um, different military bases and installations and, and see some more information about PFASs, where they've been located, um, and other, you know, reading and information if you, if you want further study on this subject. So let's, let's get to... Um, why this is so important, um, why this is such an issue, um, what do PFASs do? Well, let me back up one more time and answer your question a little bit better on where these uh, were located. Apart from the 400 mil 401 military bases, um, so, the, so DOD has tested, well, we don't know how up-to-date this is, uh, but we can probably put this on the website too. But DOD has tested 2,668 groundwater wells, both on and off bases in surrounding communi communities, and found that 61% of them tested above the Environmental Protection Agency's recommended level of PFAS chemicals. And so that's significant. Uh, out of those, there were there are 25 Army bases, 50 Air Force bases, 49 Navy and Marine bases. Obviously, that doesn't add up to 401 bases. <laughs> uh, so, you know, whether you're looking at the individual wells or looking at the number of bases, uh, this is a really, really widespread uh, potential problem. And it's a potential problem because the next question you ask, which is right. what happens? Because these, these chemicals bioaccumulate in the body, Obviously, they're not going to, you know, you're not, your body's just not going to process them out. Right. And they've been shown to cause various cancers, uh, various um, uh, pregnancy-induced damage, uh, liver damage, increased cholesterol, thyroid disease, uh, and, and the list likely goes on because the, this is such an emerging issue that we don't know yet what all the results may mm -hmm. be, but we know these are cancer-causing agents as well as uh, uh, agents that affect other vital organs uh, of the human body. So you mentioned that <clears throat> that you know the DoD tested these sites and the levels were above the EPA's 
recommended amount of PFAS is. Now, does the EPA have a regulation on how much PFAS can be in the water, or is that a little bit more fluid? That's a little more fluid. Uh, in fact, it's very fluid. Uh, no pun intended. Oh, pun was intended. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, depends on where you look again, uh, who you listen to. There's no enforceable regulation from the EPA that mandates a specific level. They, ha they have issued a non-enforceable advisory uh, level. I want to say it's around 200 parts per trillion um, of this, you know, of, of these PFAS chemicals in the at different different levels for the two different chemicals. I think one was 200, one was 400 parts per trillion. Now that doesn't sound like a whole lot, uh, but other states, like certain individual states, mm -hmm. you know, they, they can obviously regulate their you know their own uh, issues within their state. Many states have have limited it to you know very a much smaller number, like fifteen parts per trillion. And you were telling me about one study that found, you know, how many tens of thousands of parts per trillion of PFAS in the water. So so keeping in mind that EPA's recommended two hundred or four hundred parts per trillion, and some states uh, want it much lower than that. Um, and uh, in fact, the University of Massachusetts at, at Lowell. Um, recommended one part per trillion for these two chemicals. Uh, so with that in mind, one base, and I'm not saying this base has the highest level because uh, I have, I, we just, there's so many, we haven't been able to compare them all, but the Wurtsmith Air Force Base in Michigan, uh, they found 42,000 parts per trillion. So in the drinking, in the ground uh, water. 42,000 parts per trillion versus a recommended 200 to 400. That is correct. And that's why this is so important and vital to our veterans out there because it is the concentration of PFASs that really triggers all these scary health effects, pregnancy, uh, induced hypertension, preeclampsia, increased risk of, of uh, decreased fertility, asthma, thyroid, really your whole body, cancer-causing cancer agents. So it's not just that you know PFASs are out there and we're all exposed right. to it. It's that these people were exposed in such a high concentration that these really scary health conditions can develop. That, that's correct. Okay, so how would a veteran go about filing a claim for this? You know, that's what many of our listeners want to know. You know, if they were exposed to this stuff and they, they can, you know, go online and, and look at the, the uh, what DOD's researched, how would they go about filing a claim for a disability related to PFAS exposure? Well, in my opinion, uh, since this is an emerging issue and, and clearly an extremely complicated issue, um, and we're just now kind of starting to get into it on VA's standards, my advice would be to keep it simple. Mm -hmm. right, fall back to the basics of the claims process. And, and what I mean by that is know what you need for a successful claim. So as we here at CCK already know and teach, try to teach people as much as we can, you need three basic things. You need an in-service event, uh, could be an injury, an exposure. In this case, it would be the exposure. Uh, you need a current disability uh, that you're claiming, and you need a medical nexus between the two. 
So you would file the claim like any other claim, uh, you know, if, if you had a specific cancer or, or whatever the case may be that you felt was related to these chemicals. You file the claim, be very specific with your paperwork and that you're claiming, you know, whatever the disability is secondary to exposure to these chemicals. You have to be very specific on what base that you were on. So you will, I mean, obviously that's going to be in your service records, but don't let VA try to figure that out for you. Make sure you explain to VA up front what base you're on. Do some research before you file your claim. Like we're going to have an interactive map. Uh, it's going to have a lot of information on there. Uh, submit the, you know, whatever research you can find if your base was ever tested uh, as far as the exposure levels. And, you know, and all of that should, and I say should because this is such a new issue, should kick in VA's duty to assist to develop the claim, get an examination, get a medical opinion. They should, you know, the more information you provide them up front on, on this stuff, on what it does to the human body, on the amounts that are in the environment, where you were, how long you were at the base, all of that stuff uh, should be extremely important if VA seeks a medical opinion uh, trying to link the two. But, you know, it, odds are, the way VA goes, you know, the odds of their, their clinicians being trained on this stuff is probably not too good. Uh, so, you know, you very well may end up having to seek your own medical opinion. So you don't have to rely on that VA examination. For example, you know, if you happen to, for whatever reason, get a VA examiner who's not familiar with this subject, it's not their area of expertise. Perhaps they're an internist or you know, nurse practitioner, you know, PA, they aren't necessarily an expert in, in biochemical exposures. Um, is there another way to get a medical nexus opinion? Sure, you could bring it to your own doctor. Um, you could bring it to, um, you know, you do you know a local science teacher? Um, there's a lot of other ways to get um, a medical nexus opinion. Right, right. But, but I would say first, you know, try to get VA to do their job. Right. Because they do have a duty to assist you in developing the claim. And part of that duty, depending on how the claim is put together, includes getting an exam and getting a medical opinion. So it may turn out favorable for you, but just don't count on that. Um, if it does, that's great. But if it doesn't, like you said, you know, there's lots of ways to get uh, a private medical opinion. Right. You said this is emerging an emerging issue. You know, we still don't know a lot about PFASs in the water. Um, so I'm assuming, you know, this is just coming to the military's attention. They're now going to act upon it. They're doing lots of research. Um, you know, they, they're, you know, at the forefront of this PFAS uh, investigation. Um, please tell me I'm right. Well, I wish I could. <laughs> uh, but once again, as with many other exposure events, it seems that DOD has been made aware of this for many, many years. Um, and before I go into what some of those instances were, you know, I, I, to their defense, you know, I, look, I spent 11 years in the Marines. Uh, I have been involved in aircraft fires personally. Uh, you know, the stuff that they use is very good for putting out fires. Right, and, it works. Right, and in all likelihood has saved many lives throughout the years. Uh, but unfortunately, it may now be putting lives at risk. And so with that in mind, you're, you know, you would think from all the emerging science here just in the past couple of years that this issue is somewhat new. 
but apparently it's not that new. So a little bit of history, and this is nowhere near all of it. Uh, so this stuff was developed uh, by and with 3M through the Navy in the 60s. Uh, you know, the, the biggest one that was um, developed was AFFF, like we stated earlier. Um, and like I said, throughout the 60s, this stuff was developed. Interesting, in 1975, uh, 3M scientists informed uh, of PFAS in buildup in the human body. So at that point, they were coming to realize this stuff was bioaccumulating in the human tissue. Uh, in 1976, uh, they found 3M, who, who made the stuff, uh, or one of the makers, uh, found PFAS chemicals in workers' blood. And in 1978 through 79, uh, independent studies, 3M's independent studies, uh, or experts from those studies, confirmed the risk of PFAS. In 83, the Air Force studies suggested cell damage, and, and you know I'm not getting into details here with any of these, it's just kind of the 10,000 10, foot level. In 1985, a second Air Force study again suggested cell damage. In 1989, animal deaths led the Air Force to contain the spread of AFFF. In 1991, the Army Corps of Engineers deemed AFFF hazardous, uh, in also in 1991, the Corps of Engineers tells bases to stop its use of the AFFF. In 1996, a Navy study found AFFF uh, toxicity uh, and persistent. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, the study found AFFF was toxic and persistent. Uh, and then it just continues to go on from there. Um, in 1997, the Navy starts exploring alternatives to AFFF. In 2000, the military learned from the EPA that 3M had stopped uh, PFOS production. And the EPA, in the same year, the EPA alerted DOD about the 3M study showing the health risk. Uh, in 2011, uh, DOD issues a risk alert for AFFF. In 2015, DOD begins transition from AFFF with those specific chemicals. And in 2018, Air Force completes transition from AFFF. Uh, so we're talking just last year, the Air Force themselves finally transitioned away from it. Uh, the Army is not scheduled to do it until some point this year. And the Navy is not scheduled to do it till some point next year. So, still being used to this day in, in certain branches. And it's not that we're saying, you know, we shouldn't fight fires with AFFF. It sounds like it works and effectively. It's just that we're trying to get VA to fulfill its promise that if you were exposed to something in service, it results in a disability, you should be compensated for that. That is absolutely correct. And, you know, we have not seen many of these claims, obviously, yet, because the issue is so new. Um, I suspect that's going to change, and most likely it may start changing quite rapidly uh, as, the, as the issue becomes uh, a little bit bigger in the public, public eye. Okay. Any further thoughts about these chemicals and PFASs and contaminated drinking water, Carrie? I would say, you know, if, if you have health concerns, you're in the military, you have health concerns, 
you were on one of the bases, which you know you're going to have to do some of your own research to to find out. Um, you know, file your claim. You know, it, I mean that's that's basically my advice, it, especially if you were some of the workers that dealt with the uh, firefighting stuff on a regular basis. If you were a firefighter, right? Uh, you know those. Uh, then you guys know what we're talking about when it when it comes to how you practice uh, putting out fires. So you you know you're we're not telling you anything you don't know. So keep that in mind, and uh, you know don't hesitate to file your claim if you think this is uh, the cause of what you may be suffering from. Great. Well, once again, this is Emma Peterson and Carrie Baker from Chisholm, Chisholm and Kilpatrick. And you've been listening to the Veterans Legal Lowdown. Thanks for joining us today with our discussion about PFASs and contaminated drinking water. This episode of the Veterans Legal Lowdown was produced by Chisholm, Chisholm, and Kilpatrick, a law firm representing veterans nationwide in their VA disability claims. If you're interested in a free case evaluation with CCK, give us a call at 844-549-4500 or visit our website at cck-law.com.